Hello, everyone, and welcome to Career Goals. And today, you're going to listen to the fast track for my interview with Stacy and Bob Gerlich, who are now retired, but New York City cops. Amazing, incredible experience and awesome conversation. And this one I really need to digest for you because the actual episode, please take a listen. I don't care if you ever thought about being a cop one day in your life, or if you've never been pulled over, you really need to listen to this because it is incredibly insightful and engaging and interesting. And you feel like you're watching an episode of like NYPD blue and, you know, Hill Street blues and anything new that's out because it's, it's real life. And they really just do a great job of giving us an overview of what it is, like what that job really is. So obviously, they're talking NYPD, and then you can relate that to whatever area you might be thinking about, but also think about military police and other ways that you could apply the same training. So here's your fast track. So you know what I do in these, I just give you quick little quotes and excerpts from the conversation and put it together to kind of tell you what it uh, what we were talking about. So let's listen to Bob first, because one of the things we talked about here is what it is to be a New York City cop. And then Stacy is with the ESU, the Emergency Services Unit. So think of that in our vernacular as kind of like a SWAT team, like the the really serious um, people. So let's uh, listen to Bob just giving giving us an idea of how the ESU even gets involved. For us, like there's the saying within the police department that when the public needs help, they dial 911 and they call the cops. Well, us as cops, when we need help, we end up calling our ESU team. Okay, so that gives you an idea. So the ESU would be the cops for the cops. Um, so Stacy again, was our ESU officer and listened to her give us a, a whole idea about the training and the types of things that they get involved with. Listen to her talking about some of these weapons. With a normal street cop, they either carry a 9mm or a 40 caliber handgun. A heavy weapon with the emergency service unit um, consists of several different things. We have automatic rifles. We have shotguns. We have um, shields, protective shields, which shield us in case anybody's firing at us with heavy weapons. So that's... Oh, like in riots and yes, things that's when you would riot, get called also? Yeah, okay, riots. Well, we get called, Mounted gets called, a lot of units get called, um, especially with executive protection. And what executive protection is, we maintain the rooftops and the perimeters when the dignitaries come into town, especially the president. I mean, what? I didn't even think about that. I mean, I really didnn't even think about that, which shows you, I guess, my naivete in the space. But just think, so all the dignitaries that come for the UN and in New York and, uh, you know, in your local area, you always have people coming that have some level of prominence and importance who other people would want to get at. So they have responsibility for all of that. So if you have to be up on a rooftop protecting the president, uh, think about who you have to be and the kind of training that you're going to need to be able to do that job appropriately. So listen to uh, Stacy talking some about the actual training. We go to Special Tactics School, STS. Um, we are we also are trained in repelling out of helicopters. We're trained um, repelling off buildings. We are also trained in climbing up all the bridges in New York City. So there's a lot that we're trained in. We also have um, training with gas meters um, in case of an explosion or there's a gas leak where 
back 20 years ago um, when I first got trained, 23 years ago when I first got trained, um, we had to go into a sewer and they taught us about confined space training and, and you have to go in there with a gas meter in case of an explosion to detect gas or radon or something in there and you can when you're in the sewer it's very dark you can get caught up on things in a very confined space and you have to be trained how to get yourself out of those situations and it's a very complex thing but uh, it's something you have to do it's part of our training and you have to pass everything there's no freebies if you can't pass one of the um, training curriculum you will not be put into that unit I mean, whoa, I was just listening to her is just it was so cool. I really am excited for all of you to listen to the whole episode with, with her talking about being in the sewer. You just got to get that like this is a, a sewer. First of all, it's in New York City. There are rats and just vermin everywhere. It is I can't it's disgusting. I can't even imagine being able to do that and then have to do a job when I was in there and then get myself out. It's just like, it's incredible. Really, really incredible. So beyond that, of course, she's got more training, what, what we would expect. Um, and listen to her, give it just another little glimpse about the ongoing training. With the training from a regular patrol officer to emergency service is you have to, well, at that time we became EMTs. Um, we were taught how to repel Full EMTs, like certified? Full certified okay. EMTs. We were taught how to do repelling from helicopters, buildings, water towers. Um, like a Green Beret or something. Yeah. Really? I mean, like, right? Isn't that like yeah. an army paratrooper? <laughs> but it was cool because we Very were cops, cool. you know? And um, I walked the first bridge I did was I walked up the Brooklyn Bridge, the most famous Brooklyn Bridge, and that was the highlight of my career. So cool. I mean, just think... I think what's really neat about this is if this is something that you would look at as a career, that you would grow so much as a person just doing the training to get you there. I think it's kind of like what they do in the Army and the SEALs and all that. So much of it is just the mental growth that you go through. So uh, Stacey's a pretty incredible person, and talking to her was really interesting. And I don't want you to get the impression that she's some superwoman. Her parents were not like Hulk Hogan or, you know, any anything like that. She's just like a, a regular person who set her mind to doing great things. So listen to her give a kind of a background of where she came from. I've seen a lot of horrific things. And um, there's a lot of times that I sat and I spoke with children that were abused or people that thought, oh, you're a cop and you have a great education, which I did not. I dropped out of school when I was 16. Oh, great. And, we'll talk about that, too. You know, I got a GED and I made a better life for myself. But I tried to talk to the people that were there and say, listen, if I could do it, you can do it. Just because you're low income or you have no education doesn't mean you can't better yourself in life. It's not always about um, having a prestigious college degree. It's not always about coming from money and being fortunate to have everything you want. You have to experience life. And I learned a lot from being a cop from people that um, experienced other things. It really taught me a lot about people. Yeah, you're getting a sense of who Stacy is. And again, if you get a chance when you listen to the full episode, you'll really understand more about her background and how amazing it is that she has done the things that she has given her um, given her upbringing. So uh, 
listen to her talking some more about what it is, um, how she even kind of figured out, because I really wanted to know if you're a kid coming from a certain environment, how do you even know how to become a cop? I, I wouldn't even know how, how to do this. And so she did what I think a lot of people I've been talking to will say, you know, find a mentor, find someone that you can talk to. So her examples were other police men and women in her neighborhood. So listen to her talking about that experience. I would go over there and I would talk to them and ask them like different things like what's your experience, you know, um, are you happy doing it? Um, you know, do you do you feel comfortable? I mean, I see sometimes people say things and abusive ways and you guys act very professional and how do you in how do you not internalize the abusive people and they said it's a job and this is what we knew what we were getting involved in and um the way to give back to people that are abusive or um do not like the police is to just kill them with kindness good advice good advice any day i think but that just gives you a, a sense of her you know, tenacity and how proactive she was in pursuing this goal. So you get a sense of who Stacy is. I'm going to just give you a little glimpse into her, like personally. So you get this is really cute in a, in a way. Her talking about um, how she overcame. I mean, she's not a she's not a big person. She's not like exceptionally strong. You know, other than what she's done on her own. So listen to her talking as we'll go in transitioning, talking a little bit more about her her training. When I became a police officer, I was 112 pounds at five foot seven, and everybody laughed at me and thought I was a joke and thought I couldn't do the job. I know I joked yesterday. Be... I think you're like a Zootopia. Yeah, right? exactly. like the little bunny. <laughs> exactly. He's exactly. gonna make it. And um, but I trained for this. I was an athlete since I was 16. I was big runner. What kind of sports? What did you runner? I was a big runner. I was into weightlifting. So even though I was 112 pounds soaking wet, and people laughed at me and thought I would never make it, well, I proved them wrong because there is a physical agility test that you do have to take back then before you became a cop. Today's day and age or today's society, you could take it in the academy and they give you many, many chances even if you fail. So that's good to know just that there's some things that you're going to be expected to do. And along those lines, here's some more information of the kinds of things that you have to do physically in this uh, training to be a cop. So back then, um, we had the dummy drag, and the dummy drag was about 225 pounds, and a lot of male officers couldn't drag that dummy. I think it was about maybe 10 to 20 feet, Bob? Yeah, yeah, approximately. How do you drag? Are you able to, is it, what does it look like? What does the bag look like? Is it just like a boxing bag? No, it's Like a person? It's actually made out of boxing material, but it's an actual person who's about six feet tall. So you're supposed to like pull under the the armpits and drag? Yep, pull under the armpits, cross over, and the best way for me, because I was so small, um, most of the weight I carried on my thighs, and I was able to drag that guy. Because your legs are really strong. Yep, I was able to drag him, and there was a lot of guys that were bigger than me that could not do it. We also had to climb over a six-foot wall. I had no issues with that. We did a run every day. I never, ever, ever once dropped out of a run. And when I got hired, it was in July of 1986. Sometimes we'd have to run in that New York City heat. Oh, which humidity. Was, yep. And it was 107 degrees. There was people dropping out left and right. And to this very day, um, I never dropped out of one run. And I was so, at times, so like, 
sweaty and I was so like fatigued. But I said to myself, if I drop out, then I'm going to prove everybody right that I couldn't make it on this job and I could not, you know, be like the men. And I would never let that happen because that was my dream. And I was not going to let anyone take it away, not even myself. Yeah, it's so cool. So you think about that, all the physical uh, training. This is kind of like physical testing. But think about if you're a cop, you have access also to ongoing physical training, which I think is a really cool aspect of, of the work also. So you'll have the physical part of being a police officer that all the requirements that you have. And then again, the ongoing training. And then there is also some written test that you need to take. Listen to Stacy talking a little bit about that. They ask the same questions in different formats. And I think that they want to see if um, you're consistent with you as a person and your integrity and your mental status. Because if you say yes to the same questions, hey, then they know, all right, this person pretty much is focused. If you start giving answers with gibberish and bouncing around and changing answers, well, I guess to them that that wouldn't be a sane person. I mean, if I was interviewing someone and they were all over the place while I was asking the same questions in a different manner, I would think twice too that, hey, something's wrong. Yeah, that's kind of a good tip, I guess, for any interview is to remain consistent. And Bob kind of elaborated on this a little bit more saying, you know, if you're honest, you're always honest. It's easier that way. So good tip from him. So now we've kind of covered the physical space, the testing space. So now I'm going to give you an idea of our conversation and listening to some of their experiences and just the way that they kind of take in this work that they do. So I think this is probably my favorite quote of the whole interview that's coming up here, just because I think it it kind of sums up what this job is. So listen to Bob here. With this job that we're in, okay, we have adrenaline that goes from zero to 100 within a radio call. Yep. So with this job here, we have adrenaline that goes from zero to 100 in a radio call. And you think about those phone calls that you get in the middle of the night or, you know, the call that you get from school and you're, you know, panicked about your kids, whatever it is that for you, that once in a, a lifetime or once in a year call, they can get these calls every single day, every hour. And it's, it's so true. That just really hit me when he said that. So I think that is a really helpful way to think about the way that you approach this this type of work. So listen to them talking about how you prepare, if at all, for the stressful situations that they might be in. Until you've gone through those stressful situations, there's really not a textbook question or answer that can address that specifically. Yeah. And then as cops, you have to digest what happened. You're always second guessing yourself as to whether you did something, if, if you did it a different way. But unfortunately, sometimes you're giving split seconds to make a decision that affects you and other people for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Oh, so it, if they it, can help along the process to basically weed out, for lack of a better word, of people that are not eligible, that they feel cannot handle those situations, then that's part of the process. And not everybody that wants to be a cop becomes a cop. And that's kind of an interesting point, too, to think even if this is something that you start out to do, and if for whatever reason you don't finish, it doesn't mean that that's any 
true reflection on who you are as a person. Just there are some people that are capable and meant for certain jobs. And even if it's you start out with the physical space and you could pass the test and then you get into some of this mental stuff, all those skills that you've built will still be useful for something. And then it's just a matter of, of applying that. But it is it is interesting to know that they do look for really that emotional stability and that mental toughness, if you will. He didn't say it that way. Those are my words, but in terms of being able to do this work. So when they are in encounters, listen to Stacy talking a little bit about, you know, having these cop kinds of encounters. I would just say the fort was always there, you know, because you don't know what's behind closed doors. You don't know what's behind that car. Yeah. You don't know what's in that alley. You, you know, the subject has the element of surprise on you because they know you're coming for them, okay? And we know that we're going in there to get them, but we don't know what we're getting ourselves into. Right, and I think that's kind of the the whole point here that kept going through is just these elements of potential surprise and you prepare as much as possible, but you got to kind of be at the ready and that adrenaline type of a job. So now I'm going to give you an idea of the things that they were talking about that you really think that you would see these I don't even think I would see these in a movie, actually, because I could not even conceive of this this type of maneuver, if you will. So get your ears open, because this is like you're not even going to believe this if you've never heard it before in terms of talking about some of the things that are potential for cops to run into. And that's in those days. So who knows what it is now? Even worse. And unfortunately, if you did make an arrest there, you would have people that were the bad elements in the in the projects themselves that would throw bowling balls off rooftops, refrigerators off rooftops. Wow. Uh, you'd pull up in the police car, they would throw objects Pitbulls. at the police car. They would shoot at the police as you drove through the projects. Well, they'd make you chase them up to the roof. They'd have pit bulls up there. They would feed them gunpowder, and they would make the police chase you up to the roof, and they would jump across another roof, and when you would open that door, you'd get attacked by a pit bull. I mean crazy like that's just that's just insane to me you can't even make that stuff up right so um i mean and those you know I, I don't know if that's just every patrol person but these are the kinds of things that are potential so i think if you have this even if it's a spectrum of experience if you have in your head that that is somewhere on this spectrum of experience and they're talking about new york city and cop in the projects and listen very carefully to what bob said he said in the bad elements you know the way that they look at that people up to in this case really no good but that's not everybody. And that is not clearly when they were talking about not most people. They really viewed being a cop as a community service job. And this was interesting to me because I, as a layperson, having no experience with cops, I don't have any cops in my family. I think of cops as people who pull you over, people who arrest you, people who are always on the that side of it. I don't think of cops as community service officers, as team builders. And that just could be the way I was exposed to them when I was younger or the way I thought about them, you know, good versus evil kind of thing. But, um, but I think in talking to them, I really learned that this job is a is a, a communications job. It's a community service job. It's a team building job. It's a, you know, let's work together kind of a job. So listen to Bob talking about that in, in terms of building alliances in the neighborhoods. But the older folks and the good people in the, in the yes. community and the projects, they would come over and talk to you. And you do develop a rapport with them. And at that point, they're the people that you would need rely on when a situation's getting out of hand 
if you didn't have a radio because they didn't have that much of the equipment to pass out to all the cops that were there, that person would call up 911. And that person would always look out for the officers there. And like my wife was saying is that sometimes you'd go out there and there would be, say, 50 cops, but you only have 30 radios. So you would go out without the radio, but you would have a plan where, okay, I'll call up every hour. But that, unfortunately, if you're getting involved in a confrontation with somebody, you would rely on the people that you helped during the daylight hours to actually at least call 911 to say, yes, there's an officer here. They may need help. Yeah, so that was good to hear too. So it's it's not just uh, you know good good co- good cops against you know bad people. There, there's a, just a lot of community out there in the way that they in the way that they work. So here's Stacy talking a little bit more about what what happens in a confrontation. And this is this is again. I mean, I kind of want to flavor this in with the experience. There, it's not all confrontational. There's team building and all that kind of stuff. And then if there is a confrontation, this is kind of how she views it. Listen, if I got to get hurt, I hate to say it, but years ago, if I got to get hurt. You're got, you got to get mm-hmm. hurt, you know, and um, it's not my intention, but I'm not going to let anybody go out there and physically hurt me or do, you want to mentally say whatever you want. That's fine. But once you put your hands on me or another officer, that's a whole different story. Um, you know, we're here to protect you. We didn't get up in the morning and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to work today and I'm going to beat somebody up because I'm mad at my wife mm-hmm. or I'm mad at somebody. But that's what the general public thought then. And that's what they think now. I thought that was interesting. And I think that's probably I think she's probably right. I think that is probably true. And that's something that we need to take a look at as we think about it. So now everyone has a cell phone. So listen to Bob talking about in the confrontation. This is really good advice. I mean, it's just this is a good thing to, for all of us just to listen to and just kind of take mental note because as he's telling this little vignette or giving this example, I'm you know even recognizing in myself there are times when wow that's just that seems like a silly thing to do given the gravity of whatever situation I might find myself in. So um, listen to him talking about you know cell phone days. Today's day and age, unfortunately. Everybody has a cell phone camera. Somebody could be laying there bleeding. Instead of rendering aid, they take out their cameras and they start videotaping everything. Yeah. Yeah. Not, it doesn't have to be any interactions with the police. It could be a car accident. It could be somebody yelling at somebody. But now when you get people that come there and agitate the situation, that's the point where, like you said, you're going through enough stress dealing with the, Correct. Uh, the, the situation that you're there for. Now you have outside agitators whether they're saying things, videotaping it, trying to interact because they know that person that you're trying to resolve an issue with. And then at that point in time, like we said, as far as the training level, you go back to saying if you are trained and you can handle certain situations, that's great. You will have somewhat of a positive outcome the best that it can under that situation. People may not like the results at the end. We may not like the results at the end. But the end of the situation is it's over, it's complied, hopefully nobody got hurt. And at that point in time, we live and we learn from our experiences. Yeah. So put the cell phone away when it's that kind of stuff. I mean, you just, yeah, I think you just had kind of a heads up. I thought that was really good information. Okay. So now moving into, you know, we've done the training. We kind of did the, you know, looking at the examples, things that come up. And now let's talk about the the real thing that I think we all think about if you're going to be a cop is the risk of death really, and the potential for your fellow officers, or really, in this case, your coworkers, to um, to be killed in the line of duty and, and have other things happen to them. So let's listen to, listen to Stacy talking a little bit about that. 
I don't want to sound cold-hearted, but to sit there and see someone dead, okay, that was murdered. I mean, that's something you see on TV. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, to a normal person, it would be horrific. But me being a police officer, it was horrific. But I had to be stoic because I had a job to do. I wasn't cold-hearted or anything, but sometimes people perceive us that way because we are guarding that body at a crime scene and we have a job to do and people don't realize that this is our job we think about the families because you know what that could be me lying there yeah for sure so i'm just going to keep going on this because they they just gave such good examples and really good information here so bob here is talking about every incident with someone having a gun for us with cops every call we go to there's a person with a gun meaning us now, I'm a bigger guy. doesn't mean that I'm invincible. If I get jumped no. by three people, guess what? My gun is probably going to come out of my holster at some point, and I will probably be shot. That's a reality of the work. Yeah. So in terms of that, let's listen to Bob talk about what he thinks is an expectation of the job. In our line of work, unfortunately, we're the only people that say, okay, today I may not be coming home today. Yeah. It's, a perce- it's a perception that comes with the job. And when people turn around and say, oh, well, a cop got killed. Well, what do you expect? That was his job. It's not my job. My job is not to go out there, or my wife's job is not to go out there and get killed. It's to help people, number one, and to, two, help people by, unfortunately, taking down people that are willing to do harm to other people. Yeah. So the job, that's a risk of the job, but certainly not at all the job, but a real risk. And that's something that Stacey was able to talk with us about in just getting an idea of of how that impacts another officer. I personally have worked with two dozen cops that were killed in the line of duty. Oh, wow. Like, worked with them, knew them, was friends with them. And I cannot begin to tell you there's not a day that doesn't go by in my life that I don't think about them or their families. It's something that will stay with you forever. You don't have to be married to them. You don't have to be a parent to them. You don't have to be a child of theirs. Working together and knowing them every day, that is your family. So it has a great impact, and it'll be, it will be with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, I, I, you can imagine. I mean, when she said those numbers, I think, one, I don't even work with that many people. And if I did, to imagine that they're gone is... It's just not even routine for those of us who work in, you know, other kinds of, you know, non cop kind of jobs, you know, like non-confrontational physical jobs. I mean, you work in an office or you work in TV or you do whatever you do. You're certainly not in these kinds of situations. So one of the things that we also got to talk about that I really, again, I hope you have a chance to listen to the full episode because we did talk about, I asked Stacey, so, you know, so the first time you go out, you know, your heart's pounding. And then the second time you go out, your heart's pounding. And the third time, and, the, and she said it never goes away. So the, that feeling of just that, like what Bob's talking about, that adrenaline, just kind of that you're always at the ready when you're, you know, out on duty. And by the way, half the time when you're not on duty, because you're still someone who's trained to be in these situations. So listen to Stacy uh, talking a little bit about, about, you know, that, that feeling. It's very scary when you know, you come close to death. And, and I have been there. My husband has been there. So coming close to death, you could see both Stacy and Bob have having had that experience. So you imagine pretty much every police person has had something where they were afraid for their life or in, you know, a pretty tense situation. So 
along with that is the things that you you would see as a police officer that you wouldn't see as a normal civilian, you know, like myself, I normally not encountering these kinds of situations and pit bulls on roofs and protecting presidents. It's not something that's in my course of the day. So listen to Bob now talking about uh, one of those types of things that um, that cops run into that the rest of us really don't. I mean, every single cop, no matter where you are, will always tell you their right. first unfortunate DOA. Mm-hmm. whether it was through a crime, a criminal act, or a self-inflicted act, or just natural causes. But everybody will remember that. And it's something that when we process this all, we all have to take it in, and we all find avenues to direct it Correct. so that at least we can survive mentally to keep doing the job. Yeah, and listen to how he said that too, surviving mentally to keep doing the job. And so that, again, they screen for that to test kind of, or I guess, to screen for your mental toughness and stability, really, I think is what I would, the word I probably would better use in being a police officer. So it's just helpful knowing who you are again, and if this is something that you can, um, that you can really do. So if you can, what was really cool is, you know, it's such a positive interview and interaction with the two of them. I mean, they love being cops. They just really had such a phenomenal experience throughout life. You know, they were cops for 20 years. I mean, just a wealth of experience. So what did they see in terms of the jobs that were out there? Because we're just talking to them as, you know, a patrol officer and, you know, Stacy being in the SU. What what else is out there? So we touched on that too. People don't know that there are thousands of units in the NYPD, thousands. It's level-headed people. You realize what it is. You can't accept, you can't be bitter about disappointments, especially in the career field that we chose. You can never give up. as long as one door closes with the NYPD, you could be a patrol cop, you could be a canine cop, you could be a mounted cop, you could... Admin, you could be behind the desk, right? You could be an admin person. there, There are so many opportunities where once you do get hired... There's various doors that you could choose, especially for careers. You could be working in a helicopter, flying a helicopter, driving a uh, boat. Yeah, driving a boat. I, didn't, I wouldn't even think about that. But of course, they have to protect the waters around, you know, around Manhattan and all the boroughs. I mean, it's, duh, really. But, but like, this is the cool thing, even talking about so many different industries. We talk about a lot of industries and you say like, oh, of course, they have a, a finance department and a PR department and a you know health department, who knows what in these bigger companies, but the police force will be this, a similar situation. And, you know, as in terms of having a career that you could flow through for, you know, 20 years and end up with maintaining, you know, basic things like a pension or health benefits. I mean, these are kinds of things that you also want to think about as you're building your career, kind of what do you want it to look like, you know, in in the end. So they had some really good advice if this is something that you want to take a look at. And I thought this was good advice just overall in general, but they gave some specific advice for um, what about, uh, what do you want to do about getting into the NYPD or into being a police officer? Well, the best advice right now that I would give, you have to have college for everything. So um, if you really want to be a police officer and you can afford to go to college, you need that college degree because no department's going to help you. And if you want to be a police officer, put your mind to it, put your heart and soul into it, but know that there are going to be a lot of sacrifices. So you have to prepare yourself mentally. Hopefully from this interview, you can get a lot of insight that there are going to be a lot of sacrifices that you're going to have to give up and you have to be willing to make those sacrifices. So if you really want this job and it's your dream, that's what you're giving up. 
Okay, so Stacy mentioned some of those sacrifices and, you know, and the advice, get college if you can, get that under your belt, you'll want to have that. And then some of these sacrifices. So what do those look like? So listen to, uh, listen to them talking about what are the sacrifices. So you would be missing Christmas dinners, New Year's Eve gatherings. Your friends wouldn't understand that. Well, why can't you just put in for the day off? Yeah, basic. I mean, basic things that we not all of us think about, but, you know, you're going to be on potentially on holidays and, you know, maybe, you know, if there's a really serious incident like an earthquake or something like that, I imagine that it would go into longer days and that kind of thing. But again, this is just it's such a fulfilling career and the way that they brought it to life was was excellent just to I mean, I was motivated and I'm like probably the worst person to go out and pick up. But I was um, really intrigued by this whole uh, concept. So listen to Bob talking about his advice for getting into this field. College is a definite. Stay in college. Try to get a degree because unfortunately in today's world, you need the degree as a stepping stone for any occupation pretty much along there. Uh, second is be true to yourself. If you want to be a police officer, then you know, okay, I can't get drunk every weekend. I have to sit there and oblige by, okay, even though marijuana may be legal here, guess what? You don't want to smoke it to the point where it's going to impinge you from getting that job, yeah. uh, whether it's a police officer or any job. Uh, the one thing that is great about this job is that it, once you get Onto being a police officer, there's many opportunities from within the department to advance to. Uh, if you don't choose to be a police officer and you want to do another career path, make sure it's something that you like because there's something about getting up to work. For us, every day was a different day. I didn't go to an office with a suit on. I went to work with casual clothes, put on a police uniform, dealt with what it was. When I took the police officer uniform off, I'm Joe Q. Citizen again. And that's something where... You have to be happy with what you're doing because that will make you strive forward. And if you do like what you're doing, then you take it to the best of your ability that you can do. So that's really it. I think if you're looking at what you can do with your with your whole life, with your career as a police officer or with your career in anything, I think Bob really summed that up. I mean, if this is if this is your goal and this is your career, there's certain tactical things that you can do to prepare. But then it's about being the person who does well in this field. And Stacey and Bob are great examples to look at and say, these are people who have been able to excel, been able to do it amazingly well. And that if listen to their whole interview and get a whole sense for this incredible field of law enforcement. I think now that I'm just saying these words, I'm realizing why I have looked at it probably the wrong way without putting in kind of that community service piece, because they really are servants of the community and officers of the community. So there you have your fast track. And I hope you got a good sense of what it is to be a police officer and what you might need and how you could even go about doing that. So thanks for listening and we will see you next time. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do?